Today's episode is focused on keeping holy the Sabbath. We're following up on Father Ryan's talk at Magnify last week by looking at some ways that we can have a good rule of life for our journey as Christians. In this talk, I look at why God commands us to keep holy the Sabbath, why we do so on Sunday, and the practical ways we actually do keep holy the Sabbath. So I hope you enjoy it. If you'd like to hear these talks live, come to Catholicism 101 on Thursdays at 7 p.m. in Room 201. Thanks, God bless, and gigum. So let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracious God, we give you praise and thanks for your goodness and love. We thank you for this opportunity to grow in communion with you through studying the faith. Uh, in particular, Lord, we ask your blessing upon us as we look at a rule of life, a rule that might help us uh, to order everything that we do, uh, our waking and sleeping hours, to seek you with all of our heart, mind, and soul. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Um, so welcome to Catholicism 101, the first one of the semester. Uh, if this is your first time uh, to a 101, I always have this uh, presentation here. You can go to the bit.ly link on your phone, or you can just take your camera on your phone and use this QR code and follow along with the slides, and you can keep those slides with you. Uh, if you want to have this information, um, obviously you can take notes if you want to as well. I do have a lot of information in here, a lot of citations of scripture, of the catechism, uh, and some saints. So I, I doubt you'll be able to, to write it all quickly enough or it, yeah, it would just kind of maybe distract you. Um, at the end, I can put this back up if you don't want to, if afterwards you're like, well, actually I really would like the slides. I didn't get them at the, few, at the beginning. But, uh, but anyways, that's what I do at the beginning. Technically, this is Catholicism 102 or 201, however you would, you would say it. Uh, I'm not going to boot anyone out if you didn't come to the 101 stuff. Uh, but this is going to be building on what we talked about last semester. So that last semester, we had three modules, three kind of uh, groupings of classes. The first one was the kerygma, the first proclamation of the faith. So we looked at God's love. We looked at sin and grace, and we looked at the call to holiness. Then we had uh, life in Christ, and we looked at the moral life, we looked at the sacraments, and we looked at prayer. And then we had why the church, life in the church, and we, um, we looked at uh, the church as uh, founded by Christ, who is God, uh, in order to lead us into communion with Him. And we also looked at some common response, or we looked at responses to common objections to the Catholic faith uh, by our Protestant brothers and sisters. So that's kind of what we did last semester. We followed Magnify throughout the entire uh, semester. Whenever there was a Magnify, that theme kind of launched the module. And that's the same thing that we're doing this semester as well. So Father Ryan gave a Magnify talk, and it was about rule of life. And so we're going to be kind of diving a little bit deeper into a rule of life, and uh, that today is going to mean looking at uh, keeping holy the Sabbath. If that's what you saw in the social media blast and whatnot, uh, we're going to look at keeping holy the Sabbath as part of our rule of life. So there we go. Catholicism 101, the rule of life. Um, let's see. I think that's, that's all I want to do by, in terms of an introduction. So we'll go ahead and get started.
All right. So first question, why a rule of life in the first place? What is a rule of life? So uh, the English word rule, it comes from the Latin word regula. Right? It means a straight piece of wood, a ruler, and by extension, a pattern, model, or example. So if you can imagine right, uh, having a rule, a ruler in your life that keeps you on track to get where you want to be. The, the first times in history, at least in the, in, the, uh, in the Catholic Church, when we started to have very organized rules of life uh, was with the monastic tradition. So uh, at the very beginning of Christianity, the way to imitate Christ, the way to love Him, the way to follow Him radically was to be a martyr. Um, there were people who were actually really, really worried um, about being martyred. Otherwise, I won't be able to imitate Christ. Uh, well, when Edict of Milan 325, uh, or around that time, um, when, that, when that happened, when Constantine made Christianity legal and then the official religion of the Roman Empire, there was uh, no more persecution of Christians. So you couldn't uh, be martyred. So what did people do in order to radically follow Christ? They went into the desert. Uh, they went into the desert in order to detach themselves from worldly pleasures and attach themselves more fully to Christ. Come on in. Um, and uh, little by little, they started to, you know, first begin as hermits living by themselves. And these hermits began to organize themselves under a particular leader. And that leader would kind of guide them and give them a rule of life uh, so that they could follow Christ more closely in a very radical way. So the, the way to be radical at the beginning of the church's history was to be a martyr, and then it was to go out into the desert and to be a monk. And St. Benedict that you see right here, he's one of the um, kind of, for Western monasticism, his rule that uh, he kind of collected and used as a rule of life for his monks ended up going throughout all of Europe and now throughout all of the world men and women follow this rule of life in order to radically follow Christ. So the analogy that I want to give for a rule of life is uh, the analogy of an athlete. St. Paul uses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 25. He says, Do you not know that the runners in the stadium all run in the race, but only one wins the prize? Run so as to win. Every athlete exercises discipline in every way. They do it to win a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. Do you imagine an Olympian? An Olympian orders their life, everything that they do, the people they hang out with, the things that they eat, how they sleep, how they train, how they practice, all of that in order to win a gold medal, which will eventually just crumble and rot away, right? Um, but they are an example in the sense of how well they've ordered their life, how well they've lived a rule of life for that small perishable prize. They're an example to us who want to win the imperishable crown, which is heaven, which is perfect communion with our Lord. And so we can look to them as an, uh, for inspiration and a model to make sure that we've ordered our life well. That's what St. Benedict was getting at when he wrote this rule of life. Let's look at uh, a little excerpt from his rule. All right, this is the prologue. So this is beautiful. Again, thinking of the athlete who wants to win 
the gold medal, we are thinking of the prize that we want to win, which is life with our Lord forever in heaven, perfect communion with God, and the fulfillment of all of our desires. So this is what St. Benedict has in his rule. And the Lord, seeking his laborer in the multitude to whom he thus cries out, says again, Who is the one who will have life and desires to see good days? And if hearing him you answer, I am the one, God says to you, If you will have true and everlasting life, keep your tongue from evil and your lips that they speak no guile. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek after peace and pursue it. And when you have done these things, my eyes shall be upon you and my ears open to your prayers. And before you call upon me, I will say to you, Behold, here I am. What can be sweeter to us, dear ones, than this voice of the Lord inviting us? Behold, in His loving kindness, the Lord shows us the way of life. Having our loins girded, therefore, with faith in the performance of good works, let us walk in His paths by the guidance of the gospel, that we may deserve to see Him who has called us to His kingdom. For if we wish to dwell in the tent of that kingdom, we must run to it by good deeds, or we shall never reach it. Hope you can kind of see the analogy here between the athlete trying to win the prize and the Christian seeking to win the prize of heaven. Who is the one who will have life? So that's the question. Do you want life, life to the full? And if so, then follow this way. Order your life in such a way that everything, everything that you do is ordered towards that prize, just like an Olympian, just like an athlete. They do it to win a perishable prize, and we're seeking the prize of heaven. So a rule of life eventually um, didn't just stay in the monastery, right? Everyone who wanted to uh, live out holiness, because we're all called to holiness, started to order their life, when they would go to sleep, when they would wake up, what they would do during the week, how they um, prayed, at the times that they prayed. All of this was ordered just like an athlete orders his or her life. All of this was ordered in order to win the prize of heaven. So some final quotes before we get into um, more details regarding a rule of life. Again, we're still asking why. Why a rule of life? So St. Augustine, that famous quote that you may have heard, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. The real answer to why a rule of life is because you and I are seeking happiness. We seek that our hearts might rest. We long to be completely at rest, having found what we're looking for, having all of our desires fulfilled. And our Lord promises to us that that fulfillment is in communion with Him. And if that's true, we have a rule of life in order to make sure that we seek that fulfillment of all desire, right? that we seek the rest that comes from communion with our Lord. Matthew 11:28 through 30, Come to me, all you who labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're seeking that rest, the, our hearts longing for the rest of communion, of happiness, of fulfillment. And Jesus is saying, Come to me, and I will give you that rest. Take my yoke upon you. That can be another image of the rule of life, what you need in order to find the rest that we all long for. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, strive to enter into that rest just like the athlete strives to win the gold medal. Strive by having this rule of life. And then finally, my favorite passage from Scripture, John 10, 10. I came that they might have life and have it to the full. So uh, we're all longing for life. We saw this uh, again in the rule of St. Benedict. Who is the one who will have life? Jesus himself saying, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. He wants to give us true happiness, something that will really bring our hearts to rest. But we need to strive in order to find it. He doesn't give it in like a magic way. He doesn't give it in any other way except as we are, which is human beings who actually think and love and act. Uh, and we're going to think and love and act by ordering our lives to that very end. That's why we have a rule of life. So through this um, module, this section, we're going to look at a weekly rule of life, a daily rule of life, and then uh, two weeks from now, I'm pretty excited, we're going to have uh, a choral Vespers. All right. So Vespers is the evening prayer of the church, and uh, Mike and Larita and some of our choir members are practicing right now to sing that evening prayer of the church. It's going to be really beautiful. I hope that you kind of spread the news. Uh, the Liturgy of the Hours is a way that we can really order even our hours uh, when, when we wake up, when we go to sleep, midday. Uh, it's a beautiful way to order even our hours so that we might be seeking the fulfillment of all of our desires. Today, we're just sticking with our weekly rule of life. So we're going to be focusing on keeping holy the Sabbath. Right, that third commandment that you know so well, keep holy the Sabbath. So here is the commandment, Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you may labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. All right. So we're going to look at why is this commandment given? Why do we gather on Sunday uh, instead of the Sabbath? So uh, it's easier to, to see this difference in, in like Spanish or Italian. The word is sabado or sabato. Like it's the Sabbath. Saturday means Sabbath. Um, so uh, why are we gathering then and worshiping on Sunday and not Saturday on the Sabbath? That's a question that we'll ask. And how can we keep the Sabbath holy? All right, those three things. So first, why the Sabbath? Um, if you've been listening to my preaching uh, for the past year and a half, you've probably heard me say the phrase, God wants nothing from you. He wants everything for you. All right. And here's Jesus saying exactly that. All right. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I want nothing from you. I want everything for you. And the Sabbath commandment is for you. It's not because I gain anything. It's because you gain everything. I came that they might have life and have it to the full. That motivates everything that Jesus does. It motivates Him in the Eucharist, on the cross, and it motivates Him when He gives us commandments and teachings. He wants us to have life to the full, and that is true as well of the Sabbath, the Sabbath commandment. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So why the Sabbath? Well, for two reasons. Because we need, as human beings, to rest and we need to worship. 
All right, so let's look at uh, the Catechism, paragraph 2172. God's action is the model for human action. If God rested and was refreshed on the seventh day, man too ought to rest and should let others, especially the poor, be refreshed. The Sabbath brings everyday work to a halt and provides a respite. All right, so this is written into us as human beings that we need to rest. And one of the coolest examples in real life that I can give you to show this is um, England in World War II. Okay, so imagine World War II, the, the German uh, war machine that was uh, pumping out uh, an incredible rate of production of weapons uh, so that they could win the war. The war. Now, uh, when it comes to a, a time like that, you might throw away all kinds of comfort. You have to sacrifice because you're talking about defending the ones that you love, your homeland, your country. England had just passed uh, a lot of labor laws uh, that prevented people from working too much. But it was wartime, so all those had to go, right? You have to make those kinds of sacrifices. That's fine, but we're in war, so uh, you're going to be working every day so that we can keep up with the German war machine. It was pretty interesting, because even when they did that, they weren't able to keep up. And the English um, employed some analysts, looked at everything in order to see if there's any way that we could catch an edge to increase production. So after they did the research, after they looked at everything, what they recommended was to give them one day off, to give all of the workers one day off. And that increased production and gave them an edge. Even in wartime, and when everything is absolutely necessary for the highest production in order to save the ones that you love in your country and your homeland, you need to have a day off. Why was it? Well, if you didn't have this day off, you eventually made more mistakes, the production wasn't as high, and when you rested, you were able to go back to work and be more productive. So that's like the perfect example to show you that we as human beings need to rest. We absolutely need it. That's not why we rest, but we don't rest in order to be productive, but it's just an example to show you that we need it. Our human bodies need rest. So. Why do we rest? It goes more into worship. Okay, uh, Let's look again at the Catechism, paragraph 2176. The celebration of Sunday observes the moral commandment inscribed by nature in the human heart to render to God an outward, visible, public, and regular worship as a sign of His universal beneficence to all. Okay, So, Inscribed in nature, what it means to be a human is to render to God worship. This, we're talking about the virtue of religion here. The virtue of a religion, uh, moving on to the next slide. If you can think of justice, justice is the virtue that is giving to our neighbor his due. Right? If, if I uh, take an apple from someone, I need to give the just remuneration for that apple. Um, if I steal, I need to give it back. I need to give everyone their due. Right? That's, that's on a level of peers. Okay? Uh, I need to treat you as an equal. I need to give you uh, what is your due. Now, when it comes to someone who has given me more than I can repay, uh, the virtues change a little bit. You can think first of your dad, your mom and your dad. They've given you the gift of life, which is more than you can repay. 
thanks, I'll get you back, right? No, like, <laughs> you can't. You can't do that. So what do you give to your mom and dad? You give them uh, reverence, honor. You honor your father and your mother. Uh, the virtue that governs that kind of relationship to, to give what is due is called piety. Now, when it comes to God, we're talking about even more because uh, not only did God give you everything, I guess that's the best way to say it, not only did He give you life, He gave you everything. He gave you existence. There's no way of saying, thanks, I'll get you back, right? Uh, so, we give Him what we can. We give Him the submission of our very lives. Uh, we give to Him worship. And the virtue that governs this relationship is called religion. So justice is in giving our neighbor his due, and um, religion is in giving God his due. Now again, this is all in the context of why the Sabbath. Remember, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We need to worship God. Uh, we need it. So St. Thomas Aquinas, this is the quote that you have here. Uh, 13th century theologian. He's an Italian uh, saint, priest, a Dominican friar. Uh, his masterpiece work is called the Summa Theologiae, so like a summary of all of theology. And in this section here, in his masterpiece work, he treats the virtue of religion. So he says, we pay God honor and reverence, not for his sake, because he is of himself full of glory, to which no creature can add anything. If we could actually benefit God, uh, He wouldn't be God, right? Uh, so we're not worshiping God because He needs it, but because we do. But for our own sake, because by the very fact that we revere and honor God, our mind is subjected to Him, wherein its perfection consists. So when St. Thomas speaks like this, it's again, this is like 700 years ago, it's a little bit different. Uh, than how we generally speak today, but our perfection, our fulfillment consists in knowing and loving God, our, uh, knowing and loving Him. That's what He's getting at here. So when we worship Him, we are fulfilling our nature as human beings. Our ability to know the truth and love goodness is completely perfected. It reaches its potential in knowing and loving God and worshiping Him. All right. Now, we'll continue. Now, how do we do this? How do we subject ourselves to God? How do we worship Him? Now, the human mind, in order to be united to God, needs to be guided by the sensible world. Since, quote, he's quoting uh, Romans chapter 1, invisible things are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, as the Apostle says. So, I'll break this down a little bit. Now, the human mind, in order to be united to God, needs to be guided by the sensible world. Okay, He's saying this because... I can't um, let someone know that I love them without uh, somehow making that apparent to their senses, okay? There's no way that you will know that I love you if I don't like say it or show it or, or make you sense it in some way. Um, you have to make that visible. Uh, even though it's, it's more interior, that's what's important, I still have to show it visibly or you won't know it, right? So, in order for us to show our submission to God, it can't just remain interior. We have to show it exteriorly. All right. Wherefore, in the divine worship, it is necessary to make use of corporeal things, that man's mind may be aroused thereby, as by signs, to the spiritual acts by means of which he is united to God. 
Therefore, the internal acts of religion take precedence of the others and belong to religion essentially, while its external acts are secondary and subordinate to the internal acts. So he's kind of a brainy character, right? It's speaking like that. Uh, what he's getting at, though, is, like, is what I just said. We want to show our submission, our reverence, our honor, our worship to God, and that's most important that it be internal and interior. You can see this in Psalm 51. For you do not desire sacrifice, or I would give it. A burnt offering you would not accept. My sacrifice, O God, is a contrite spirit, a contrite, humbled heart, O God, you will not spurn. So it's very possible to go through the motions of worship and religion and it actually not mean anything. The most important thing, sorry about that. The most important thing when it comes to submitting ourselves to God is that it really be our mind and heart that's submitted to God. But if we're going to do that, it's also going to be expressed exteriorly, which is what we do in sacrifice, which is what we do in lots of ways, whether it be sacrifice, tithing, bodily reverence, um, first fruits, things, things like that. All right. So we have one more long quote um, from St. Thomas Aquinas. Here's a little picture of him to uh, make you <laughs> not be scared by the long quote, I guess. Um, so again, the, the context for this is we're the ones who benefit. We're the ones who benefit by worshiping God. Uh, if our fulfillment as human beings is knowing the highest truth and loving the greatest good, then the virtue of religion is going to allow us to reach that perfect fulfillment. Um, so here's St. Thomas Aquinas uh, in this, um, in this uh, dynamic. All right. Natural reason tells man that he is subject to a higher being on account of the defects which he perceives in himself and in which he needs help and direction from someone above him. And whatever this superior being may be, it is known to all under the name of God. So uh, this is a kind of an argument purely philosophically for God's existence, that I'm not a perfect creature. I need um, the help of others in order to bring me to fulfillment and perfection. And so uh, I look to someone else to make that happen, right? He would ultimately say that if I'm imperfect, there must be a perfect uh, that is causing me to exist and that will eventually allow me to reach my own fulfillment with His help. Now, just as in natural things the lower are naturally subject to the higher, so too it is a dictate of natural reason in accordance with man's natural inclination that he should tender submission and honor according to his mode to that which is above man. Now, the mode befitting to man is that he should employ sensible signs in order to signify anything, because he derives his knowledge from sensibles. Hence, it is a dictate of natural reason that man should use certain sensibles by offering them to God in sign of subjection and honor due to him, like those who make certain offerings to their Lord in recognition of his authority. Now, this is what we mean by a sacrifice, and consequently, the offering of sacrifice is of the natural law. All right, so I'm going kind of deep into this because this is what's going to allow us to understand why we worship, like it's going to allow us why it's okay that we worship on Sunday and not on the Sabbath. Because the real moral command behind the third commandment of keeping holy the Sabbath day is to offer sacrifice to God. That's a part of natural reason. All the Ten Commandments um, are 
what someone could know simply by applying their mind. This is, this is what is good. This is what is the right moral thing. And when it comes to the third commandment, keeping holy the Sabbath, there's a part of that that is um, simply part of natural law, that I need to give visible, regular worship to God because I recognize that I am subject to Him, uh, as St. Thomas is saying here. But that it happened on Saturday is not a part of the natural law. That's a part of the ceremonial law, and I'll get more into that later. What I want to emphasize now is it's what it means to be human is to be in right relationship. Our fulfillment as human beings will be in right relationship with my neighbor, in a kind of pious relationship with my mom and dad, and in a religious relationship with God, where I give to each their due. And the way that I give God His due is through sacrifice, which is what is commanded in that third commandment of keeping holy the Sabbath. All right, that was, that was a lot. Um, is it clear as mud? Is it clear as Sprite, maybe? Like, uh, question. So some of the things he's talking about at the end, like, uh, can you go back? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, like, certain sensibles, would that be just, is he talking about, like, actual, like, physical, like, animal sacrifice, like, the pagans would have done in natural law, or is he talking about things like bowing or kneeling? He, what he means, uh, and he, he, it's very um, general, that, that sign. It could be, right, uh, an, an animal. It could be... Um, like a, a, a libation, but what he's getting at is that, like, I can't just communicate to you that I love you without using some kind of sensible sign. And I can't communicate to God submission and worship to Him without some kind of sensible sign. Um, so that's a part of the natural law. You see it in all kinds of religions before, uh, before Christianity, that there is sacrifice that's being offered to God because we recognize that we're you know, need to submit ourselves to Him, but exactly how to do so doesn't really come into clear picture until God reveals exactly how He wants to be worshipped. We'll talk about that. It's okay to go to church on Sunday because we uh, are fulfilling that moral commandment to give God sacrifice, to give Him worship, um, but that ultimately the reason why the Sabbath was instituted in the first place becomes fulfilled by Jesus Christ, particularly on Sunday, the Lord's Day, when He uh, raises from the dead, and which is the uh, we'll get into that, but that's what we're wanting to commemorate is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and we do that on Sunday. Good. All right, 30 minutes. So we have 30 more minutes. Okay, so how does God want us to worship Him? It's a part of natural law that we should worship Him, uh, and if God were to reveal to us that He wants to be worshipped in a particular way, it would make sense that we do that, right? Um, Submission would mean I do what you want, I do your will, and if he communicates his will, it would make sense that we follow him. Okay, three quotes here from the Catechism. 2169, uh, in speaking of the Sabbath, Scripture recalls creation. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Exodus chapter 20. So, we recall creation. We recall God's gifts to us, uh, particularly creation. 2170, Scripture also reveals in the Lord's Day a memorial of Israel's liberation from bondage in Egypt. 
You shall remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out thence with mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy chapter 5. So remembering liberation from slavery in Egypt. That was also what was part of keeping the Sabbath holy. And then 2171, God entrusted the Sabbath to Israel to keep it as a sign of the irrevocable covenant. So shall the Israelites observe the Sabbath, keeping it throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. So celebrating the covenant. Here you have three elements that ultimately get fulfilled by Jesus Christ on Sunday. Uh, recall creation, remember liberation from slavery in Egypt, and celebrate the covenant. All right. This brings us into why we do it on Sunday. This is the second section of today's lesson. Um, quote from the Catechism, uh, speaking of the distinction between the Lord's Day, Sunday, and the Sabbath, 2175. Sunday is expressly distinguished from the Sabbath, which it follows chronologically every week. For Christians, its ceremonial observance replaces that of the Sabbath. In Christ's Passover, Sunday fulfills the spiritual truth of the Jewish Sabbath and announces man's eternal rest in God. For worship under the law prepared for the mystery of Christ and what was done there prefigured some aspects of Christ. All right, I want to pause here for a little bit. Um, if you've read the Old Testament, you'll see that there are lots, lots, lots of laws uh, that the Jews had to follow. Now, you can look at those laws under three different categories. There were moral laws. There were ceremonial laws. You can think of like the kosher uh, laws, the ways of uh, dietary restrictions and things like that. And then you had judicial laws or juridical laws, how you would uh, order, you know, the actual society uh, kinds of things like that. When Christ came, he fulfilled the Old Testament. And so the ceremonial laws and the judicial laws were no longer kept afterwards, but the moral laws were. So we're still obliged to follow the moral laws that are present in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments being one of the greatest examples um, of those laws. But we're no longer obliged to follow the ceremonial laws or the judicial laws. You think of Peter's dream in the Acts of the Apostles, this sheet coming down from heaven that has pigs on it. He says, slaughter and eat. He's declared all foods clean. So we don't have to follow those particular, particular ceremonial laws anymore as Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, fulfilled that law. That's why we can not, we can, this, this commandment, the third one, keep holy the Sabbath, the moral part of it, we still need to follow. Namely, that we need to give God regular, external, visible worship. But we don't have to do it on Saturday, just like we can eat pigs now and have bacon for breakfast, right? Um, so, does that make sense? Have you, have you heard that kind of distinction before? I find it really helpful, right? Because otherwise we couldn't, you know, like cut the hair on the sides of our heads and, and things like that. We'd have to follow a lot of those uh, codes and laws that you see in Leviticus. Jesus has fulfilled the ceremonial law. Uh, he's fulfilled the moral law as well. He's fulfilled the judicial law. The ones that we have to follow from the Old Testament is the moral law. Um, very good. Let's see. So we're looking at how Sunday fulfills that moral law, the way in which God wanted to be worshipped. Right. So first, we want to recall creation. The Catechism 2174. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. 
Because it is the first day, the day of Christ's resurrection calls the first creation. Because it is the eighth day following the Sabbath, it symbolizes the new creation ushered in by Christ's resurrection. So this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. We sing that all the time during the Easter season because when Jesus rose from the dead, it inaugurated a new creation. That God willing, when we too rise from the dead, we'll be a part of it. We'll be a part of the body of Christ, glorified, um, not existing in, in the bodies that we have now, but in spiritual bodies in, in a way that is without corruption. You get to see some of the cool things that Jesus is able to do with His body. He walks through walls. Um, that's one of the things hopefully we'll be able to do as well, I think, <laughs> to walk through walls. We'll be a part of that new creation. So we're still recalling creation by recalling the resurrection. We're remembering our liberation from Egypt. Now, uh, Catechism again, 1221, the crossing of the Red Sea, uh, literally the liberation of Israel from the slavery of Egypt, announces the liberation wrought by baptism. So think of the Israelites there in Egypt under harsh slavery, under the Egyptians. They are liberated from that slavery through the Red Sea. Right? Uh, that is what they were supposed to recall. They were to recall their liberation from slavery. And when Christ won the victory over sin and death for us, we were liberated from the slavery to sin. You can see here Romans chapter 6, when we're baptized, or are you unaware that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were indeed buried with Him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live in newness of life. So, uh, the, res the resurrection of Christ when we were baptized and brought into communion with Him in that first special way, uh, we were baptized into His death so that, as you hear in the funeral masses, we might be raised to new life after our own death. Okay, so we're remembering that liberation from slavery to sin and death uh, by remembering uh, Jesus' death and resurrection on Sunday. And finally, we're celebrating the covenant you hear this word every single time you go to Mass. Uh, this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night He was handed over took bread, and after He had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me." All right. So this is celebrating the covenant. Remember in Exodus 31, they were supposed to observe the Sabbath, keeping it throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. When we remember the resurrection of Christ on Sunday, we're remembering that new and eternal covenant that He celebrated and it was ultimately brought to the conclusion in the resurrection uh, on Sunday. All right. So. Here, uh, again, this is like in terms of you might meet um, a Seventh-day Adventist or a Seventh-day uh, Baptist who would look very, very uh, literally at that third commandment in the Old Testament saying that we should gather on Saturday, we should worship only on Saturday. Uh, here you can see already some scriptural, and, uh, scriptural foundations and application in, in tradition of moving the time that we uh, celebrated the covenant, remembered our liberation, and recalled creation, doing all of that on Sunday. 
So Acts chapter 20, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when we gathered to break bread, that, and you see that in the Acts of the Apostles, that means the Eucharist, Paul spoke to them because he was going to leave on the next day, and he kept on speaking until midnight. All right? So they were meeting on the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week, to break bread and to celebrate the Eucharist. Colossians chapter 2, Let no one then pass judgment on you in matters of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. The festival, new moon, or Sabbath were the three kinds of sacrifices or feasts that the Jews celebrated. Um, and so Paul here is saying uh, that you, don't, uh, you can't uh, be judged for not participating in that Sabbath worship here. Uh, here is some application of this in tradition very, very early in the tradition. The Didache, somewhere around 70 A.D., that may be an early dating, 70 to 90 A.D. Uh, this is kind of like a rule of life, the very first rule of life of the early Christians. Uh, but every Lord's Day... Gather yourselves together and break bread, and give thanksgiving after having confessed your transgressions, that your sacrifice may be pure. Sounds like Mass, right? We're celebrating Mass on Sunday in 70 A.D. Ignatius of Antioch, 110 A.D., this is maybe 10 years, 20 years after the death of the last apostle. Those who were brought up in the ancient order of things, that is the Jews, have come to the possession of a new hope, no longer observing the Sabbath, but living in the observance of the Lord's day, on which also our life has sprung up again by Him and by His death. So, we have some scriptural foundations with some very, very early applications and tradition that we started to celebrate uh, this new covenant of the Lord on Sunday and not on Saturday. It's allowed because uh, what was important about that third commandment, keep holy the Sabbath, is that moral command to submit ourselves to God, to offer Him regular, visible, external worship, not that we do it on a particular day. It's very interesting in the Gospels when Jesus repeats some of the Ten Commandments, like He says, what do I need to do in order that I might have life? And He says, you know the commandments, and He starts to repeat them. Throughout the Gospels, when He repeats the commandments, He repeats nine, and He never ever repeats the third the third commandment. Every other commandment he repeats, but he doesn't repeat the third. Pretty interesting. Um, so the important thing is to offer worship to God, which now we do on Sunday. All right. So how? How do we keep the Sabbath holy? We got 18 more minutes. I want to give some uh, opportunity for conversation and question as well. So these are quotes from the Catechism. The most important thing, uh, this precept of the church, on Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are bound to participate in the Mass. This is the, the first way to um, keep holy the Sabbath. Now, this is one of five precepts of the church. Who can tell me what a precept of the church is? Brandon. Like a non-negotiable thing you have to do as Yeah, Yep, exactly. This is like the, the bare minimum of what it means to be a practicing Catholic, the non-negotiables. First one, Mass every Sunday, Holy Day of Obligation. Uh, second one, Holy Communion. How often? What do you think is the minimum? Once a year. Confession. Uh, observing the fasts prescribed by the church. Do you know what those ones are? Wednesday, Good Friday, and... Yep. 
Those are the two fasts. Yep. What do you have to do on Fridays in Lent? Abstain from meat. What about Fridays throughout the year? Something. Something. There you go. Got it. All right. And then the fifth one. Anyone know the last one? Contribute to the church according to your means. All right. So contribute to the church according to your means. This is the five kind of non-negotiables, the minimum of what it means to be a practicing Catholic. That first one being this precept on Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are bound to participate in Mass. So that's worship. Then um, the second part of this observance would be resting. 2185, on Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are to refrain from engaging in work or activities that hinder the worship owed to God, the joy proper to the Lord's day, the performance of the works of mercy, and the appropriate relaxation of mind and body. All right. Worship and rest. That's how we keep the Sabbath holy. All right. Now, um, the church doesn't want us to get into a super scrupulous attitude about resting on the uh, on the Lord's day. What does it mean to rest? What can I not do? There used to be in the church's law a distinction between servile labor, the labor that a servant would do, physical labor, and non-servile labor. In the new code of canon law, that distinction is not there, right? So uh, the, canon, the new code of canon law basically says the exact same thing as this quote here from the Catechism 2185. Uh, to kind of give uh, some scriptural foundation for a lack of um, scrupulous uh, observance of this of these rules of resting on Sunday. This this uh, gospel passage was uh, read, I think, a couple of days ago. Right as Jesus was passing through a field of grain on the Sabbath, his disciples began to make a path while picking the heads of grain. At this, the Pharisees said to him, "Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? They were working." He said to them. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions were hungry? How he went into the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of offering that only the priest could lawfully eat and shared it with his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That is why the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So I want nothing from you. I want everything for you. All right. So this is not supposed to be a kind of scrupulous burden that's placed upon you. It's supposed to be for you. That doesn't mean we don't take it seriously. Um, like when he says, you shall not like commit adultery, like I, well, I really tried, you know, it didn't work out. Like, no, <laughs> this is one of the big 10, all right? One of the big 10. So let's really try to fulfill it. Um, but it, when it comes to real human need, uh, you don't have to get worried about fulfilling those real human needs here. Okay. So, um, the very end that I'm going to do is kind of give you some ideas for your own personal rule of life, uh, this weekly rule of life, okay? So, um, first thing that you want to do is plan ahead. Plan ahead, right? Think of Sunday like a good vacation. This is not a burden. Oh, I have to go on vacation on Sunday. No, you get to go on vacation every single Sunday, all right? So, plan ahead. What are you going to do on Sunday. How are you going to rest and how are you going to worship the Lord? All right, so prepare. Good vacations require preparation. First thing that you need to do is make sure that you're going to Mass. Um, it's so awesome to hear the stories. Um, you all know the story of how St. Mary's was started? 
Yeah, I th just in case someone, we have, there were six guys in the Corps of Cadets that walked six miles to St. Joseph and Bryan, six miles back, and they did that enough time that Monsignor Gleisner said we need to make a church closer <laughs> to campus for them, petitioned the Archbishop of Galveston, Houston, and St. Mary's was started, right? They weren't going to let 12 miles keep them from fulfilling their obligation to give the Lord worship. They walked to Mass. So, uh, when this obligation to attend Mass continues while you're traveling, all right? When I was on the Ultimate Frisbee team um, at Texas A&M here, um, I didn't speak Spanish at the time, and the only Mass that I could go to when we were on this tournament was a 7, 8, I don't know, it was a late Mass in Spanish. I went to Mass, all right? That's the great thing is that generally you know what's going on, even if you can't understand the language, all right? So uh, a way to follow this, even when you're traveling or when you uh, are on vacation, whatever, masstimes.org. Put that in, got your GPS location, you'll find all the masses around you, okay? All right. Then the second thing is rest, okay? Rest. So try, try not to have your work, your job on Sunday. Try, try not to have your homework, your chores, your social media. Those things tend to stress us out. Right? tend to be work and burdensome and things like that. Now, again, man was made uh, not for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. Okay? So you have a job because you have to pay the bills, right? And you don't always have control over your schedule, and you may end up having to work on Sunday. In terms of preparing ahead, try to ask that that doesn't happen. If it does happen, right, uh, you weren't in control of it. And you go to it, and you try to make um, preparation. You try to make time in the time that you do have to really rest, to rejuvenate, and to give the Lord the worship that's due. All right. Same when it comes to homework. If you have a test on Monday, right? You didn't ask for a test on Monday. Okay. Uh, this happened to you. It's your obligation as a student. That's your vocation, and you're faithful to that when you study on Sunday for the test. But, right? Um, if you can. If you can, try to prepare for your vacation of Sunday, all right? Getting all of that stuff done, your chores done, your homework done, your social media done before Sunday because you get to have an awesome vacation with the Lord on Sunday. That's a great way of honoring Him. It's a great way of really entering into that rest. It's what He wants for you, okay? So we have this awesome quote from St. John Paul II. He wrote an encyclical letter called Dies Domini, Day of the Lord. This is paragraph 68, and he talks about the rest, okay? In order that rest may not degenerate into emptiness or boredom, it must offer spiritual enrichment, greater freedom, opportunities for contemplation and fraternal communion. Therefore, among the forms of culture and entertainment which society offers, the faithful should choose those which are most in keeping with the life lived in obedience to the precepts of the gospel. Sunday rest then becomes prophetic, affirming not only the absolute primacy of God, but also the primacy and dignity of the person with respect to the demands of social and economic life, and anticipating in a certain sense the new heavens and the new earth in which liberation from slavery to needs will be final and complete. All right. So the goal is not to get all of this done and have nothing to do and be bored and empty, right? but to plan an awesome vacation on Sunday, giving priority to Mass, because ultimately we're trying to be in communion with God, 
He will give us our ultimate happiness and peace and joy and life to the full. Um, once we've been to Mass, right, what are some other ways that we can celebrate the Lord's Day and really rest with Him? Uh, making time for prayer, for your relationships. I would always call my mom and dad on Sunday. Um, I bet you they would love if you would call them on Sunday, right? Uh, feast. So it only makes sense to feast if you've been fasting, right? And I'm not talking about a ton of fasting or whatever. I mean, even just like a small way, right? Let's say that, uh, I don't know, you don't put like salt on your food uh, for lunch on, on the days of the week. Well, when, when Sunday rolls around, you get to like put a lot of salt on the french fries, okay? Yes, there's no more fasting. I'm, I, how can I fast when the bridegroom is present, you know? Uh, so, so things like that, you get to have a nice meal or whatever it may be. Maybe you don't have ice cream every day of the week. Uh, and then Sunday comes and you have ice cream because you're celebrating the Lord's Day, all right? Uh, so feast, make it, make it a day, what you would do on vacation, right? Calories don't count. Uh, that's right, yeah. Quote of the year. Uh, fun, have fun. All right. I want you to really think about, like, if you could do anything, right, um, to have fun. This is what vacation is, right? What would you do? What would you do to have fun? Some of the coolest, like, neatest little, like, things of leisure that I did on, on, my, on my day off. I, you know, as, as a priest, there's not a whole lot of time to uh, rest on Sunday, unfortunately. <laughs> Except the rest, the ultimately the perfect communion with God, which is what it's all, it's all about, right? But not these other ways of resting. So, so Monday is my day off, and in terms of the rest that I need, that's when I have to take it. Right? So I would go to, um, I go to one of the parks that has a, a disc golf uh, course, and I, uh, believe it or not, I would take a margarita, because that's allowed, in a College Station at the parks here, and I would play disc golf. And then I would sit and I would journal, right? And I would think about the week coming up, the week that had just passed, and I would talk to the Lord, right? It ended up being watching the sunset, you know, and the, the water in front of me. It was, it was really cool, right? It's a kind of, kind of fun leisure that, that brought me to contemplate and to speak with God, that brought me real rest and things like that. So, so I, it might be worth it to kind of do this as an exercise. What would I do for fun? Right? If I could do anything, would I actually spend two hours on social media? Probably not. So, so what would you do if you could have fun? Uh, what would you do if you could feast? Uh, kind of prepare for the vacation that is Sunday. Uh, that you get to rest with God. Then finally, works of mercy. Okay. So one thing to do on Sunday is to be mindful of causing others to work. Okay. So you don't want to have to work on Sunday. Uh, try not to cause others to work on Sunday as well. Okay. Uh, used to be just kind of standard. The grocery stores weren't open on Sunday. So if you can plan ahead and get your groceries ahead of time, uh, you don't have to go to the grocery store on Sunday. Uh, but other works of mercy would include visiting the sick, the elderly, um, taking care of those who are in need. Uh, these would be great ways. Again, if we're resting in the Lord and the Lord is love, then doing a work of mercy would be a great way to rest in Him. Okay. This is the last slide. These are other resources that you can learn more about uh, keeping Holy the Sabbath, that encyclical by St. John Paul II, Dies Domini. So you can get that for free right there on the Vatican website. Uh, 
couple of books, Getting Work Right, Labor and Leisure in a Fragmented World. It's a book by Michael Naughton. And then Leisure, The Basis of Culture. And when he says culture, he really keys in on that first part of the word, cult, worship. Leisure is the basis of culture. Uh, pretty cool. Joseph Pieper, you can find that on Amazon. So those are the resources that you could um, you could use in order to learn more about keeping the Lord's Day holy. If I could go back to this slide and propose to you as a kind of homework assignment, not that we have those in Catholicism 101, I won't be taking grades or anything, um, kind of be inspired by St. Benedict, by these monks that ordered their life in order to seek God with all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul, and make a little weekly rule of life. If I'm going to really plan for Sunday and make it a vacation every week, what does that look like during the week? Um, my dad makes cinnamon rolls. Uh, they're amazing. And he only makes them on certain days. If he made cinnamon rolls all the time, they would not be, I mean, they would still taste good, but it wouldn't be special, right? What are some things that you can really leave for Sunday? Um, to commemorate the fact that this is a special day. Okay. So take, take these, um, obviously, mass, rest. What do you need to do in order to rest? How could you plan a vacation every Sunday to rest with the Lord? Um, I really think that, again, this isn't something like a burden that the Lord wants to place upon you. It's something that He wants to bless you with. He wants to give you rest. He wants to give you life and life to the full. And that's why he commands that you keep holy the Sabbath. All right. So we'll go ahead and close with a prayer. Um, anyone who wants to leave can. We'll all have to leave in 23 minutes. Um, but uh, then we'll, we'll ask, uh, yes, they're going to be here at, at, at 8.15. Um, but we need to be done uh, kind of earlier than that. So uh, let's close with the prayer. And then if anyone has any questions and wants to stay, we, we can stay for a little bit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Gracious God, we thank you for the commandment to keep holy the Sabbath. We thank you for the resurrection, uh, for giving us your body and blood, for raising us up to life to the full. Help us, Lord, to have confidence, trust, peace, and a zeal to keep holy your day to rest with you, and to let it give us meaning throughout the week, always seeking to find deeper and deeper communion with you. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.